Hello and welcome to the Journey Church Podcast, streaming live from Queens, New York. We're really glad that you decided to join us today. Whether you're a member, attend regularly, or this is your first time with us, we want to let you know we appreciate you. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. Well, good morning. Thank you so much to the band uh, for that this morning. There's just some of those days, I don't know if you agree, where uh, you're in worship and you're like, I'm just really, really blessed by that. Uh, That was one of those for me. So if you don't mind, can we just thank the band one more time? Um, That was just one of those days I felt very, very enjoyed and uh, blessed by it. So thank you guys so much. Um, Well, if we haven't had a chance to meet, uh, my name is Bobby. I'm the pastor here at Journey Queens, uh, and I'm excited because today we are going to continue with our brand new teaching series, Life Changing Prayer, which is based on a book written by Pastor Jim Simbola, who helped start the Brooklyn Tabernacle uh, almost if not over 50 years ago now, I'm not quite sure the exact date. Uh, And so we'll be using this book to guide us through the next several weeks, probably six to eight weeks. And if you are going to be a part of one of our community groups, uh, our spring community groups that Rob was talking about just a moment ago, uh, this will line up with that as well. We actually have some of the life-changing prayer books in the lobby. So if you sign up for a group today, uh, you're welcome to grab one of those uh, as we kick off groups here very, very soon. Uh, well, I'm today, uh, before we get into this topic of life-changing prayer, uh, I have a story I want to share, and it's actually kind of a confession that at one point in my life, I was a different person. And even uh, close enough that I felt like maybe I had to put it down as a legal alias at one point. I felt so connected to this other person And the the hard truth to confess to you is that during college, I used to be the Chick-fil-A cow mascot. Uh, If you've ever been to Chick-fil-A, the famous chicken restaurant, their mascot, uh, if you've ever been to an event from them, they're popular down south, but it is a large seven and a half foot tall cow costume. Uh, And and in college, as I worked at Chick-fil-A, this was my favorite role at Chick-fil-A. I worked at Chick-fil-A for five years through college. This was my favorite thing to do. Birthday parties, I was scaring the kids. Not on purpose, they're just scared of a big cow costume, you know, but I was as friendly as I could. But I had an opportunity one day to have one of the coolest moments of my life. In fact, it's the coolest story that I get to tell. Uh, I was the Chick-fil-A cow one day, and uh, my boss had an opportunity to uh, have his store representing Chick-fil-A at an event. It was at a minor league stadium in South Florida when I lived there at Roger Dean Stadium, and it was an NFL players versus the local SWAT team softball game. So it was NFL players, and they were playing this just low-key, slow-pitch softball game at this field, raising awareness and, and doing it for charity and partnering with the local police. So I got a chance to go to the stadium, walk around the stadium. There's all of these different NFL players there. And at one point, the person I was with in this costume says, hey, I think I could get you down on the field. Is that something you want to do? I was like, do you need to even ask? 
Do I want to go on the field in a seven-foot cow costume with other NFL players, like or with NFL players? Of course I do. Uh, and so she found a way to, to finagle me getting down there, and I had the chance to step onto this baseball field in a cow costume, and I started running out like I just won some sort of championship. I was cheering, I was running, and the very first person that I come up to is the all-famous Hall of Fame Randy Moss. Uh, and in the cow costume, you were not supposed to speak. If you've ever done any mascotting, it's a big thing. You don't talk. And I was willing to lose it all to say hi to Randy Moss. I ran up to him. Mr. Moss, it's so nice to meet you. This is insane. He was like, yeah, man, nice to meet you. And if that wasn't enough, I start running out onto this field, just trying to be a distraction. It's a very low-key game. I think that's what I was supposed to do. And all of a sudden, from behind, somebody runs up and tackles me to the ground. And it wasn't a very difficult tackle. It wasn't, I didn't get hurt, but they definitely came for me, this big cow in the middle of the field. I was a target, an all-pro safety, Rodney Harrison of the New England Patriots, ran up behind me and tackled me while I was in a seven-foot cow costume. Uh, and, and I remember getting up and seeing his name on the back of the jersey and thinking, this is, this is not happening right now. This is not happening. So I got up and I got to talk to him for a second. He apologized profusely. He's like, you're all right, man. I didn't mean to like really throw you to the ground. I was like, yes, you did, but it's okay. You gave me the best story of my life. Uh, and so, so I had a chance to be a part of such a cool event. One day I hope to meet Rodney Harrison and ask if he remembers the day he, ca he tackled the Chick-fil-A cow. Because if he does... I'm a part of that man's life. It's pretty cool. But that story has become one of the coolest moments of my life uh, in regards to a brush with fame, in regards to something that I enjoyed doing. But I realized some time ago, as I love to tell that story, that was in college, so you know, close to 10, going on 15 years ago for me, that I love telling that story. And I love blowing people's minds, friends who know football, and I love blowing their minds with this incredible brush with, with two insanely famous NFL athletes. And then I had this moment where I realized, and it was a moment of honest conviction, if I'm being honest, that I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ who came and saved humanity from sin. That God himself gives me the opportunity to have a personal relationship with Jesus. But in that moment, I found conviction because I found more joy and excitement in a brush with another human who had some status and shiny toys here on this earth. More than this creator of the universe who chose to dwell with me. And, and in this moment, I really started to ask myself, what was it that makes this story, this awesome story I love to tell, often feel cooler, more important at some points, than my personal relationship with the God of the universe? And the truth is, sometimes God feels more like a ritual than a person. And sometimes we just think of him as a part of our lives and not really the fact that Jesus, God himself, was a human as real as Randy Moss, as real as Rodney Harrison, who came to earth for us. And that scripture tells us that he defeated sin and darkness and the grave 
and that although he was killed in the human form, he was raised to life by the power of God. And the scripture also tells us that his spirit, the spirit of Jesus, now lives within believers, within me. So we're going to talk about that today as we look, because I think as we talk about this life-changing prayer that we want to adopt into our lives, it starts right here. It starts right here at the basics of reminding us who Jesus is to us and why, why it is so important that God has chosen for us to make his home here with us. Would you take a moment and uh, every now and then I'd love to just go to God in prayer before we jump into his word. Heavenly Father, thank you um, for this incredible morning, God, for our amazing band who blesses us each week with worship and song to open our hearts up, to get us ready to come before you, to be in your presence. And we pray you'd speak to us this morning. Whatever you have from your word would be planted into our hearts. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So as you look at the story that scripture lays out in the Old Testament, God, at the beginning of what we know time in the Bible, as we know the beginning of God making his dwelling with mankind, is creating and calling a people group called Israel. He is, he is calling them from obscurity. They're a very small nation in the beginning. And he's calling them to himself saying, I want to make my name famous through you, Israel. And, and in the beginning, we see uh, at the time of Moses in particular, that God begins introducing the Israelites to this concept of good and evil. This concept last week we talked of, of light and of darkness. And so as he begins to describe this and infuse this into the DNA of mankind, of Israel at the time, he has to begin introducing this concept of sin and holiness and why it's so important. He has to begin introducing this concept to Israel that your sin sends you to death. Our sin sends us to death, but God is the antidote. He is holiness. He is light. And that when we look at scripture, we see that God being the ultimate overseeing God, the only God of the universe, in perfect holiness cannot be with sin. Sin and holiness cannot mix. And so God in his desire to be with mankind gave the Israelites a way to reconcile this sin struggle so that they could continue to have a relationship with this holy and perfect God. And that was through the form of sacrifice. And so you see all throughout the Old Testament, right up until the time of Jesus, from the time of Moses all the way to the time of Jesus, you see this ritualistic, this concept of sacrifice. And what the Israelites would have to do is bring to God a, a, an animal, it was a sheep or a lamb or a dove, something that was pure, without blemish. And as we know, animals cannot sin. They're not consciously sinning. And so they were considered pure. And so the Israelites would have to bring a sacrificial animal to the priest of Israel. And the priest, the high priest of Israel, would go into the tent of meeting and he would offer a sacrifice to God as a, a temporary transfer of the sin of the individual or the sin of Israel. 
Paul describes it in the book of Romans like this. He says that the wages of sin is death. That sin itself, pure rebellion from the holiness and the perfectness of God, can only be dealt with one way, and that's with full extinguishing. And so this concept of death as a sacrifice for our sins is introduced to the Israelites. And because the Israelites, not having this, what we know today, of the love of Jesus, the, the blood of Jesus that has given us the ability to interact with God the way we do, they had to go to a priest. And a priest had to go into this place they called the Tent of Meeting. And it was a tent where, they, where God dwelt among man, where God dwelt among Israel. And a priest, after performing his own rituals and purifying himself, would then enter into the Tent of Meeting and make a sacrifice on behalf of of the people. And you see, this existed, again, this concept of sacrificing to get closer to God from the time of Moses all the way through to the time of Jesus, which is only 2,000 years ago today from this current time period. And so we see that in, in his kindness and his mercy, God and his love wanted to be with us wanted to be with mankind. And so he gave us this opportunity, this way of sacrifice, which at the same time introduced this concept of right and wrong to mankind. This wrestling with the conscious of, I want to do good, but there's always sin present in nudging me on to not do good. But you see, then when, in scripture, when the story flips and we're, we, we change our focus to the New Testament, we see Jesus, who was an Israelite, comes to earth, uh, what scripture tells us and what we know today is that this was God himself choosing to come to earth in the form of a human, giving up, considering his equality with God, his, his godly powers and his everlasting qualities. He gave those up to be human, to be subject to pain and to hurt and to temptation so that as an Israelite, he could live his life perfect. That through the power of God, this God and man lived a life that had no sin. And so when we see Jesus, who ended up going to the cross, despite only following love in the name of God, and was killed, was crucified, we, we get the phrase, the Lamb of God. That, that be, Jesus became, for Israel and for mankind, this ultimate sacrifice. This perfect, blemishless sacrifice that, that animals could only temporarily transfer, but Jesus himself shed his own blood, gave his own self as a sacrifice for mankind. So that now, that tent of meeting where a priest used to have to go to make sacrifices can now be us. That we are the presence of God, that the presence of God, I should say, dwells within us, that we are that tent of meeting. That when we come to believe in Jesus, that he not only died, but also rose from the dead, his resurrection is proof that he defeated the grave and defeated sin. That when we believe in him, his spirit lives within us. And that is what scripture refers to as the Holy Spirit. And if this seems a little basic to some of us in this room, that's okay. I think it's important 
for us to, to go back and kind of look at what that history with sin was and, and what the Israelites had to do in, to get into the presence of, excuse me, the presence of God and to pursue God. But that what Jesus did was ripped open those doors wide. That said, not only do, does mankind no longer need to sacrifice in order to come to God, they no longer even need a priest to come to me as well. That they themselves, we ourselves, are now clear and free in the grace of God to approach God himself with our requests. You see, if we're walking with God today, none of us in this room, nor anybody we personally know, was alive at the time of Jesus. We don't have that comparison often. We often forget the amazing grace that it is to walk with God, to be able to come to a church and feel God's presence, to be able to go to God in prayer and receive answers without having to perform the sacrifice and the ritual that most Israelites had to perform. Paul talks about it in this in Galatians chapter 2. He says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Notice he doesn't here say, I'm trying to be like Jesus, or I'm living in a godly manner, but rather he says, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body, trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, what we have today is an opportunity to not draw near to God with our good and our bad, with our action and the things we're doing, but that we're able to draw near to God now, in any moment of our lives. That there is no sin that can stand in between us and God any longer because the blood of Jesus, the precious blood that Jesus shed, was that sacrifice for us. So that we today are a new creation, that Christ who lives in us is always with us. Jesus, when asked what the greatest commandment was, what is the biggest and most important thing that you have to do as a believer replied this way in Matthew 22. He said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Notice what he doesn't say. Fill in the blank. He doesn't say the most and important greatest commandment is to go to church. He doesn't say the greatest commandment is to be holy and live and love everyone you know the best of your ability. He's not highlighting the action of what we have to do, but rather he, he turns it to the heart. And he says the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all that you are. Your heart, your mind, your soul. Today, I think another way that we can phrase that would be for us to put our consciousness the fact of where our focus and our attention is, like in this room right now, maybe you're locked on to me. You're hearing every word I'm saying. Maybe you've had a distracting week and your brain is bouncing all over and you're trying not to fall asleep in the comfy seats. I get it. But our consciousness, where our focus is, that we have the ability to bring that to God in every moment, no matter where we are and no matter what we're doing. 
And this, this ability to be focusing on God is what Jesus is speaking of when he says, love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Bring everything that you have into my presence. But as I think about the reason why we don't often do that, as I think about the reason why we often find so much more importance in, in a celebrity, an NFL running back or a, a linebacker or a wide receiver, than we do in the fact that we have this incredible relationship with God, besides the fact that, one, we often forget because this world seems like everything to us. And even though we are of another world, our spirit and our soul is of an, a heavenly kingdom, we often forget that we have the presence of Jesus with us. But additionally, I also think it's because of what the writer in Hebrews says in the beginning of that verse that is our theme verse from Hebrews chapter 4. He says, so then, since we have a great high priest, a little more context, that being Jesus, who has entered heaven... Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weakness, for he faced all of the same testings we do, and yet did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. But I think in that passage... As Paul is talking about how Jesus understands our weakness, I think he's also pointing out the reason we often don't come to Jesus. And I think it's because of our sin and our weakness. Now, church, we, don't, we aren't kept from God by our sin, but often we don't come to God because of our sin. Often we feel shame and guilt and we let that keep us from entering into God's presence, this conscious awareness of stepping into the presence of God, that he lives within us, that at any moment we are with God, that, that concept is, is often distracted and distorted when sin, which we all are infected by, think of it more as an infection than an action, all of us have sin within us, that sin wants us to focus on our guilt and our shame. You can't go to talk to God. Did, did you see what you just did? You, you remember how you spoke to your kids this morning? You think you, you can go and talk to God? There's this deceitful voice that wants to tell us that we are not worthy. But when we focus on Scripture and on the love of Jesus... What the cross tells us is that God came to earth in the form of mankind, not just to bridge this gap, but to forgive sin from the past all the way to the future. That you and I have an absolute clean slate before God himself at every moment. That we can come to God in any moment and say, God, I recognize my sin. I recognize my brokenness. And the only thing God requires us to do with that is confess it, is give it to him. Ask him to change us and to be open as we love God with all our heart, soul, and mind. It seems so too good to be true. And our sin does have consequence. Our sin does in ways separate us from God. Although we don't have to be separated by sin anymore, it does produce guilt and shame and wrong patterns of thinking and ways of living. 
that we think are satisfying, that we think are creating a life for us that is safe and comfortable, but what sin does is it distracts and it, and it deceives. And so we stay away from God out of our sin and shame instead of approaching this throne room of grace, this throne of God with, with full conscious clearness that, we, that our, our slate has been clean, we often go back to thinking that we have to perform some sort of ritual or sacrifice before we can enter into the presence of God. We often know the famous verse in John 3.16 that talks about our salvation, that what Jesus did for us, but we sometimes don't know John 3.17, the verse or two after it. John 3.16, it says, For this is how God loved the world, that he gave his one and only Son, Jesus, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but, has, but will have eternal life, or other versions say everlasting life. But verse 17 goes on to say that Jesus speaking says, God sent his Son into the world, catch this, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Verse 18, there is no judgment against, against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. Church, what this is saying here, in, in how I read this in the simplest of terms, is that if you believe in Jesus, you are not being judged for your sin. That God is not judging you for your sin. That you may be judging yourself. Others may be judging you. And even your conscience may feel like God is pointing and judging. But what the Holy Spirit does is gently convicts us and turns us from our sin. That word in scripture is repentance. And it's this process of us recognizing our sin and our brokenness and saying, whoa, okay, hey God, I see this. I see this weakness. I see this sin. I'm, I'm, I'm turning from it to you. But the grace of God that comes through the sacrifice of Jesus means that it doesn't matter how disgusting, how embarrassing, how filthy, and how evil that sin may be, that it still does not separate us from God. The grace of God says that no matter how often that sin pops up in your life, there is grace. Why? So that God could say, there is no longer anything separating me from my children. That I now desire to have a free and clear path between me and my creation so that I can have a full relationship with you, with you and I. And so he cleared that way. But we are the ones that have to recognize that our sin distracts us. That our sin and our brokenness is not something we have to clean up and fix before we come to God, but rather we have to take to God so that he can clean up and fix. And church, I can promise you, if you talk to some of the, the older gentlemen and ladies in this room who have been following Jesus for many, many years and decades, I promise you they'll tell you they still see sin in them. That we don't achieve a point where we have no sin, that we're not tempted by sin, that we are free and clear and thank God we had sin once more, but that we struggle with sin all 
the time on this side of eternity. How can we find shame in that? How can we find shame that when we are a common human being that is flawed, but we do. We tend to look at our sin and other sin and we, we play this comparison game. And it makes us feel worse than someone else or maybe it makes us feel better because, whoa, compared to them. But the reality, church, as Paul says, is that your sin and my sin has the penalty of death. And there is nothing we can do to change that. But there is everything that Jesus did to change. That we could not live this perfect life. We are complicit in sin every day. But that Jesus lived a life that we could not live and bridged that gap and made a way. So in that grace of God, we can find freedom from sin. We can find hope over sin on this earth and that we can find hope for our souls in eternity with God. So church, as we jump in in the coming weeks into the, the principles of life-changing prayer and actually look into getting into prayer, it is impossible for us to really experience these moments of prayer if we are completely clouded by sin and shame and guilt in between us and God. And so today, I just pray and hope that we can all take away from this the fact that we, if you believe in Jesus, as he said, are not being judged by God, but rather that God has come into the world to save you. And that you have every bit of grace and mercy that you need to come before him, to come before his throne and ask for what you need. It's not because of what you did but because of what Jesus did. Would you bow your heads and join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this truth. I, I think as uh, the band was coming off stage and the prayer that was prayed was for us to realize more truth, for you to reveal truth in us. I, I pray that you did that today. And I pray that you continue to do that. God, I pray we don't leave here unchanged, but that we would, however small or large, feel our hearts changing as we learn what it means to love you with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind. Jesus, would you remind each and every one of us this week in our sin, in our brokenness, in our hurt, in the moments where we hurt someone because we are hurting in the moments where we see our sin and cry out with Paul, the things I want to do, I don't do, but the things I don't want to do, these are the things that I keep on doing. Who can save me from this wretched body of death? Praise be to Jesus Christ, our Lord. Would we echo that in our hearts today? Would we reshift our focus onto the heavenly realms, into your presence that lives within us, and would we let our earthly lives not remain unchanged, but would they be changed as we enter into your presence? We pray all this in your precious son Jesus' name this week.